Good evening. Welcome to A Minor Detail. My name is Ryan Miner. I'm your host of A Minor Detail Radio. Appreciate you listening in on Sunday night. We're live every Sunday night at 9 o'clock p.m. We talk about Maryland politics. We talk about the news. We have politicians. We have newsmakers. We have journalists on the show. And last week we did a special show about the House of Ruth, and we talked about October being Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And the show really did a, a great service for people throughout Maryland. I had some friends listen in, and I just really appreciate the way that we had the conversation with the folks with the House of Ruth. And I'm looking to put together a fundraiser here in Montgomery County and raise some money for the House of Ruth. It, it, it does tremendous good work. And um, I'm, I'm really happy by uh, the turnout of that show. In fact, it was one of the most listened to shows um, to date of, of a minor detail since we started this show in 2015. Um, but tonight I have a very special guest with me, um, Delegate Corey McRae. He is uh, a Baltimore City delegate. He represents the 45th District in Baltimore City. And I'm going to go ahead and welcome him. Hey, Corey, how are you? Ryan, I'm doing great. Well, I'm glad you uh, you joined our show tonight. I'm sorry. Corey and I were supposed to meet on Friday, but I had a work incident come up, and two of our uh, employees were unable to make it to work that day, and we were down a couple people. But, um, Corey, you and I were going to have we'll, – we'll get together here soon and sit down over lunch and uh, have, a, have a good time. Yeah, I'd appreciate it, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here. And before we start the show tonight, um, I, I would be remiss. I, I, it's, I think it's important that we mention that um, once again today, um, there was 26 people um, who were shot dead in a Sutherland Springs, Texas church, and uh, a, a gunman had opened fire inside the First Baptist Church, Baptist church in Sutherland Springs on Sunday morning, uh, killing 26 people and wounding 20 others. And so law enforcement are investigating uh, what is happening down there. And, um, you know, my, I just don't know what else there is to say, um, Corey. I, this, this, this just, just keeps happening, and we can offer thoughts and prayers. Those sentiments are recurring, and it seems like every time that something awful happens, I mean, the last tragedy um, with the nightclub shooting, or rather, um, well, there was a nightclub shooting down in Florida, but then the Las Vegas shooting that took 59 innocent lives. We just, we just keep talking about the same thing. We're going in circles. And, you know, I, I said on Facebook today, I feel like we have a cultural problem and, you know, we can talk about gun violence. We can talk about gun control and all issues that merit a discussion from both sides. But, Corey, I don't know. I, I, I'm just – every time this happens, I, we, we, we're numb. We watch television. We learn as much details as possible. But I think we're in this – it's like a never-ending cycle. It's, when is this going to stop? When is this just going to stop? And I don't know. I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm sort of down after hearing that news today. Nope. You uh, said, said it like we can always offer thoughts and prayers, and, and my heartfelt apologies going out to the families. Um, that's affected to the law enforcement that will be investigating and to the state of Texas. But uh, like you said, also, it's also the culture that we're living in right now, and we have to do things to bring us together, not separate us. And I think that that's what's going on on a lot of different levels, and we have to make sure that we can try to correct that by leading by example. I, yeah, I mean, and it starts right here in our communities, and I don't know. It's... It's it's a sad situation, and you know, having these conversations, just maybe improving our political dialogue. You know, it just it's so contentious lately. It's you know, everybody's on edge, and it's like you can't have a de- <clears throat> excuse me, you can't have a decent conversation without two people jumping each other's throats. And you know, you you do this well, Corey. I mean, you've been in the House of Delegates for almost four years now. And, uh, you know, as working inside of your community, you have to have some of these tough conversations with people. And you have people across the aisle that you work with. But, you know, we, we got we to gotta start with our elected officials, our community leaders to set the example. And I'm not going you know, to sit here tonight and pretend that that conversation alone or just, but is going to change our culture. But we have a problem. And I, I don't 
I, I just I don't know how to fix it. And I, I yeah, all I can do is do good for my family, do good for my community, and continue to to do the best that I can as a man, as a dad, um, and 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 everything else like that. And I I'm I'm sure you're in the same boat. And you being an elected official. I mean, you have so much responsibility on your back. So um, a lot of it, you know, when people talk about these types of issues, they look at you and say, you know, what are you doing to fix this? And I'm, I'm sure you hear that a lot, Corey. Nope, you, you're right. You know, especially with the crime in Baltimore City. But one of the things is, like you said, we can wake up every day and lead by example, first as a husband, as a father. Um, and then, like you said, as an elected official, just making sure that we can have visibility, make sure that you have accessibility, make sure it's effectiveness, efficiency, um, but also giving young people uh, uh, something to see, um, our seniors someone to be proud of, and those that are of our age just leading by example so that we can all kind of push that positive energy and make good decisions. But I'm a firm believer in taking care of that, the things that's within your control um, and going from there. Well, let's talk about things that were in your control, and I want to start from the very beginning of your narrative. We'll get into the politics later, but I'm really just interested in you as a person. You have one of the most interesting and compelling stories in the Maryland House of Delegates, and quite frankly, um, I had not known too much about you until we had talked, and now I've heard that, of course, I had heard that you were running and that you're um, challenging a, a longtime incumbent senator, and you're from Baltimore City. But really, Corey, I didn't know too much about your, mer- your, your narrative, your background, what shaped you as a person. So if you will, indulge me for a moment, and let's just start at the beginning. For folks that are just tuning in, I have Delegate Corey McRae. And uh, you are um, you're one of the most interesting people, I think, in, this, in, the, in the House of Delegates, because you have a story that resonates that's Baltimore to the core. So if you wouldn't mind, you know, let's get personal tonight. Let's talk about some of these issues that shaped you, your decisions to run. And then, like I said, we'll get into the politics. So start from the beginning. Where did you grow up and uh, who, who, who are you as a person? Yep. Uh, born and raised in the city of Baltimore, uh, Ryan. I am uh, just like every other young person um, in the city of Baltimore. Sometimes you face uh, – I always say some people are strong enough to get – through the adversity that they see, but then some people ain't strong enough to get through uh, the adversity that they see. Um, I always say to my wife, I've known my wife since I was 17 years of age. She grew up in the same type of neighborhood. She went through a full scholarship at Coppin on a McNair scholarship, and she became a teacher. She teaches second and third grade. But myself, you know, I, I saw people. I saw what they had. Sometimes I wanted it. Uh, that then maybe had challenges within the school system, K through 12 public schools, um, and then I actually had skirmishes with the law. Uh, I faced some real, real challenges all the way up until I was about 18, 19. Um, I found the electoral apprenticeship uh, with the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, uh, and I went through that five-year apprenticeship program. It gave me the ability to be able to make money. Um, I didn't appreciate health care until I had four kids of my own. Um, so the twenty, thirty, forty dollar bills are always coming, but I value, value, value uh, health care at this point, and hopefully when that time comes, I can retire with dignity. Um, from the electrical apprenticeship, I was it brought it brought me out of the ten by ten block radius that I was so used to, and it kind of showed me a different world, what could be or the possibilities that were out there. Um, I was able to learn a trade. I then took that trade. I started purchasing homes up and down the Bel Air Road corridor, which is like the northeast part of Baltimore City. Um, I got involved in the Bel Air Edison Community Association, uh, Frankfurt Community Association, the places where I lived, the places where I did business. I always tell folks that I never really paid attention to politics. I was just like a lot of other young people. They leave me alone. I'll leave them alone. But the more that you start to get involved, the more you realize politics surrounds everything that we do uh, in our daily lives. And one of the things that I think about was looking at the leadership that we had within uh, the city of Baltimore. So I always try my best to make sure that we get good people elected is what I tried at first. But the reality was that there were political machines within the city of Baltimore, which which hampered and stopped um, anybody with a good heart, anybody uh, that may have the will, the power, the strength uh, to be able to represent their district if they didn't appoint them or anoint them. Um, they didn't get to go, and a lot of times they wouldn't win. So 
So one of the things that I knew as a, a entrepreneur, I knew I had the discipline. Um, I knew I would be able to put together some of the resources necessary to be able to win a campaign. Um, and I thought that I would figure out a blueprint uh, in reference to doing that and, and show other people um, that would come behind us how to be successful within running a, a, a campaign and cutting through. Uh, I remember when we first did it, I think that anything, any business you have, you have to have a plan. Uh, I remember showing people the 15-page plan in reference to how many doors we were going to knock, how we were going to target, how much money we were going to raise. And people would laugh, but after they looked at the plan, they would say, maybe he can win. Maybe it can be done. Um, we knocked on about 15,000 doors. Uh, back in 2013, we ran an 18-month campaign. Um, in 2013, 2014, and in June of 2014, we were elected uh, third place in the House of Delegates. And one of the pe people think that being elected is one of the hardest things uh, that you have to do, but I think that it's going in there and making sure that you get stuff done or making sure that you can kind of step back from three, four years and say, you know what, I'm very, very happy. I'm very, very, uh, we got something done while we were there. And I feel like we were successful in that. Yeah. So tell me about, you grew up in West Baltimore City, is that right? Yep, so I grew up in Emerson Village, and when I would get in trouble over my mom's house, I would bounce over to east side of Baltimore with my grandmother. So I jumped back and forth from west side of Baltimore to east side of Baltimore, and it would go on until um, 18, 19 years of age, and then I just planted over in east Baltimore. When you were growing up, and you were living you know, living with your mom, were, was your mom a single mom? My mom was a single mom, yep. So you grew up, and how many, did you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, so I have uh, a brother, and I have two sisters. So uh, my older sister watched me for a good bit, um, and my younger sister, I'm very close to her. I probably talk to her two or three times a day. Um, tell us about growing up in West Baltimore City. What's the neighborhood like? Uh, what What was your experience with the education system and uh Talk about some of your experiences as a kid growing up in, you know, in that part of town. You know, so my mom lived in Emerson Village. I went to Rogno Heights. I think the elementary school, I think that I can remember every one of my teachers from first to fifth grade. I remember my principal, Miss Horsey. Um, I think that one of the challenges is, is that young people, when they go to middle school, it's a very, very uh, critical point, um, especially if you don't have males in your life, especially if you don't have, the structure, you can have a mom that's trying to do everything and and willing to do everything, but the reality is is that boys need men um, in their lives. I remember going to middle school. Uh, I went to sixth grade. I ended up getting put out of sixth grade. I went to West Baltimore Middle. We called it Rockland. Um, I would then go over to the east side of Baltimore with my, my grandmother, and I would go to Chickapin. Uh, I would then get put out of Chickapin. I think I did four months at Chickapin. I went to Winston. Um, I would graduate from Winston, um, but still ended up getting put out probably towards the end. Uh, I then moved back with my mom, and I went to Emerson High School for four months. Then I would uh, get put out of Emerson, go to Northern, um, get put out of Northern, and I would end up graduating from Fairmont Harford uh, on Harford and 25th. I mean, this story is it's 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 uniquely Baltimore City, and uh, you know, listen, Corey, I I can't listen. I, I grew up in Washington County, Maryland. I, I, my experience growing, I mean, you and I are very similar in age. You're what, thirty five? Thirty five. Yep, I turned thirty five yeah. Monday. Yeah. Cheers. Um, and I'll I turn thirty two, uh, next Wednesday. So, and I grew up in a fundamentally different atmosphere, and. There's a divide there, and people who haven't been down in Baltimore City, they don't understand quite. I mean, and I clearly don't even un begin to understand that. And uh, you know, it's it. You know, you you lived in, growing up in that in that part of town. I'm sure that you were acclimated with you know the streets. You understood things that I would never understand growing up. And um, you know, you when you were a kid. Um, you had some brushes with the law, and you've talked about that openly. And I think at one point you even served 10 months in a correctional facility because, uh, you know, I was reading that you got involved with some drugs. Uh, you were you know, at one time a drug dealer. And then you – but the one sticking point in this whole story 
Corey. And I, I and I and I watched this video that you did, and I mean, it, it was really emotional to me because it, it, this is the type of story that doesn't always happen this way. But you said, "Mommy, what do you keep believing in? Why do you keep believing in me?" And it seems like your mom was the rock of your life. That no matter what happened, she had your back. And that's 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 a hell of a story, man. Nope, you, you, you're so right. I think that uh, young folks are definitely trying to find themselves. I think that one of the things that we could do more of is recreation, job opportunities, um, and make sure that you're, you're grabbing them, you're gravitating them to something positive instead of something negative. I think that one of the crutches is with local government, they just don't have mm-hmm. a, a, enough money um, a lot of times, or they make, make excuses that they don't have enough money. It all depends on what your priorities are. Uh, yeah. as an administration or just as an elected official. Um, but I think that that is definitely uh, one of the places that I would, I w- you know, you walk past a corner that has a whole bunch of drug dealers, and you don't know that these drug dealers live at home with their mom. You don't know uh, w- what the situation is, but you just see people with flashy things and a lot of money, and you say, I want that. You, see, you may grow up in a household yeah. where your mom is struggling, where you may not be able to eat, where it's just different circumstances you know, 13, 14 years of age, and you all of a sudden you're taking care of yourself. And it's only gotten worse since I've came up, but the poverty um, that so many young people have to endure is unreal. And I think that that poverty a lot of times is on the Eastern Shore, whether it's Western Maryland, it's Baltimore City. But the the challenge is is that the open-air drug markets and and things of that nature, it's easy to get sucked up um, into that lifestyle. You know, one of the things that I think about I sold drugs ever since I was probably 13, 14 years of age. And was it just was it marijuana, marijuana, or like you know any like heroin or whatever you could find? I I never sold heroin, but I sold coke. I sold marijuana. Um, and the challenge with when you sell drugs is that a pistol more than likely has to be involved. So even if yeah. you're not doing the things with a pistol, eventually you possibly could because that's just the nature of the beast um, of what you're dealing with. So that's the challenge that a lot of our young folks um, have. You see the stuff on the radio, you see the stuff on TV, and you start to play that stuff out like that's real life, but it ain't real life. How many times you get busted? You know what? I wouldn't be able to count. I wouldn't be able to count. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But... You, well, I want to talk. Let's let's keep going and um, let's talk about your 18th birthday. What happened on your 18th birthday? So uh, I was out in Western Maryland. It was a place of Billersville. I wouldn't. I've never heard yeah. of Billersville so I got out yeah. there, but I'm sure you probably. I know where that is. Yep. So I was at a facility in uh, Billersville. Uh, I just finished 10 months. I think I was home for 30 days, and I was locked up again for a pistol and some drugs. Uh, Obviously, when you, after you turn 16, anytime you get caught with a gun, you're going over into the adult uh, facility. So you're going, you're not in the juvenile system. You are a juvenile in the adult system. Uh, and I remember turning my 18th birthday over to Baltimore City Jail. Uh, at that point, you know, it was, it was a very, very dim part of my life. And you know, just I can understand a young man and young woman that don't have hope or just can't see anything ahead because of the situations that they're in or just the cause that they're dealt. And a lot of times you can try to uh, overcome that, but if you overcome it with the negative, it just kind of stacks up and it weighs even more. You you never can find yourself getting out. Corey, your mom called the Department of Labor to to get you an apprenticeship to turn your life around, and you talked about that passionately. And I think that's something that you spoke about and you describe that as partially as saving your life is you know you're in you're in jail on your 18th birthday you know you're turning 18 and that's a special time for for people you know it's you, you know your ascension into manhood basically you know you become a legally you become an adult and you know you're doing you can <laughs> go out and buy a pack of cigarettes or you can uh vote um and uh you know you, you become a man essentially but at that point in time when you were, you know, you, you were doing your thing on the streets and probably interacting with other people who were doing similar activities, did you ever say, man, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I got to, I got to get out of this, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to get away from that. It's almost similar to addiction. Um, 
to a degree. I think that nobody, especially after you get to a certain point, nobody really wants to do it. Um, and you are always trying to figure out how to do right. But when you come home, let's say that you were in a facility and you go back to the same neighborhood, uh, you have to be very strong-willed and strong-minded. I think that the only reason why I was able to escape it was because of that idle time. I no longer had it. I think I worked, you know, 14 hours a day, 16 hours a day to try to uh, remove myself from it. Um, and that's where the houses also came. I would just go to work, and after I got done working, I work on one of the houses. But you have to figure out something constructive to do with that time because if you're going within the same place where you got in trouble or you had your challenges, um, it's a recipe that it's going to be very tough to have the mental to be able to get get through it. Well, you signed up for a program with the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, and so you learned how to do a trade that most people would love to learn how to do. In fact, I wish more public schools in the state of Maryland would offer trades programs. And there's this there's this such this movement today and I've experienced it, you've probably experienced it too. It's like they your school systems in our in our country are set up to say that if you don't go to college then therefore you can't be successful. But rather I, I'm so much interested in the alternative narrative that uh there seems to be this stigmata around the trades and I can't understand it. I I mean we could go through it historically and we can talk about where the real push for college came in that uh, everybody has to get a college degree everybody has to get a college degree and that's and and then you know here in I know in Montgomery County our kids are starting that phase we have a um an 8th grader who's going to be in ninth grade next year and we're just learning everything that we need to do to start preparing him for college but um you know he, I, we want him to learn some practical skills and what happened I mean in our education system that the, the trade, my stepfather, I'll tell you about him. He started a business when he was in his 20s, early 20s. He had a, he, he, he did HVAC, and he still does, and he built one of the most successful HVAC companies in western Maryland. And that's how he put food on our table. And my mom, she, she went to school and ran the, the business side of the, um, the HVAC company, and they grew it and grew it and grew it, and still doing well and you know i that's how i was i mean that's how we got out of the lower middle class to the middle class and i mean Corey, this this story is so unique to <laughs> uniquely american and so talk about that talk about learning the you know on electrical the the trade and then what you could do with it and how much you've done so far mm-hmm. yep one of the things that i think about as you stated our uh, state education uh, boards and, and things of that nature, it's, it's almost like you get credit or you get extra points for sending kids to colleges and universities where it's frowned upon if they go through a trade. And I think that when, even when I was coming up, we used to see the person in the hard hat, they look dirty, you know, and but nobody realizes that them people make $30, $40, $50 an hour. Um, and I remember... Uh, when I was accepted, they were telling me that they were going to start me off at $12 an hour. I was like, wow, that's a lot of money. But once you move to the next year, you can make 15 And once you move to the next year, you can make 18 And once you move to the next year, you 21 And this went on until it was like 31 let's say $30 an hour. And I'm I'm thinking like, man, they got to be hustling me. It's got to be a hustle somewhere. Maybe they put you out in your third year. And, and it wasn't a hustle. It was like, it's employers that value having a trained workforce so that they don't have to do it two, three, four times. And we actually got paid to go to school. So where many young people are paying to go to college, I got paid to go to school and learn a trade. And I went to school one day every two weeks, and the rest of it I learned on a job. And that went on for five years. But the reality is, is nobody's going to come in my house and do electric work because I know that craft. <laughs> So uh, that's that's one of the benefits from it. And like you said, I'd always I'd always been a business person. I'd always been an entrepreneur. I just needed to apply it in the right fashion and do something with it. But it also took me out of the surrounding and put me around other people that had owned homes, that had owned businesses, had owned corner stores, 
And the thing is, once you get around folks that are doing something positive or just going in the right direction, it starts to rub off. It's, it's contagious. And one of the things I looked at, I said, these folks ain't no smarter than me. So I just needed to figure out. I started, you know, saving up my money because it's a significant amount of money that a 21, 22-year-old is making. So every three, $5,000, I just bought a house and, and drove a, a $1,000 car, and that's what I would do with my money and, and, and would kind of uh, just put it up from there. And you look and you say, I, I would just buy a house a year, every year. And, and, but, and I would just go in there. I would hang the drywall. Because I learned the craft, so many of the other things are, are similar. So hanging drywall, framing the walls, and things of that nature – it's all kind of making sure that it's level and plumb, and it's kind of similar to what the electrical craft is when we're running pipe or putting up the racks to be able to put the sit the pipe on. It's very, very similar um, in that nature. And I would just say the opportunities are endless uh, within the craft, especially electricians, plumbers, and steam fitters, elevator constructors, and things of that nature. Um, I was very, very fortunate enough to be able to go through it. I went to uh, community college afterwards. Uh, after I graduated from the apprenticeship, I did three years at B Baltimore City Community College. I think that one of the things is you can never stop learning. Um, so from a business standpoint, I was like, well, let me see if there's things that I might not know um, that they may be able to teach. And I ended up also going to the National Labor College and getting the four-year degree from there. Oh, wow, man. I mean, but do you ever look around and you, you see people that you grew up with and you know they weren't I would say that you decided at some point that you had to change your life, but some people that are still stuck in that cycle, that they just, I mean, it's nearly impossible for some people to get out and to go on and find success. And I mean, you had to work for everything that you, I mean, you struggled. You you had to, to set your mind to something knowing that if you didn't, then, you know, you didn't have a whole lot of options. So, do you ever look back and you see some people that you know growing up with that weren't so lucky? You know what? You see it uh, every day. Um, I ran into a person yesterday that I was in middle school, one of the middle schools that I went with. And, you know, one of the things is, first, they're just proud of you because they like, man, I knew you. You were bad as hell, you know. And and But the reality is, is that especially once you reach your 30s, you're just pushing more than likely you have kids. It's, it's more about just how do you elevate your, your children at that time. But folks are just genuinely happy. You have some some people that may not have been as lucky, and then some people. We all learn at different stages, is what I uh, what I've learned. I had a, a real good friend who ended up spending five years of his life uh, behind bars, and he came home a couple years ago. He's working at McCormick and Spit. He's spending time with his son, and and yeah. but it took him uh, time to actually learn that. This ain't worth it, you know. I'd rather go out here and make ten, twelve bucks, and it's the longevity um, that counts. But we all learn at different stages, and it, and it also depends on who you surround yourself with. Yeah, you look back and you you see the neighborhoods in West Baltimore City, all over, really. I mean, take any major city for for example. But you know, listen, I'm born and raised in Maryland. I love Maryland. Baltimore City is such a key component of who we are as Marylanders. Uh, sports teams, just culture, anything. And, uh, you know, it's so often that I get frustrated politically, culturally, um, community-wise, when you look at places that people just give up on. And what happened back in 2015 with Frederick Gray, that situation, I had no idea, Corey, what was really happening. So when that situation transpired, I decided, and people thought I was crazy, uh, during the midst of what was happening during the riots, uh, I looked at Kim and, you know, and said, hey, hey, babe, listen, I'm, don't tell the kids this, but I'm going to go down to Baltimore City. You know, I, was, I didn't really know what I was searching for, but I just wanted to have a conversation with people down in Baltimore City to better understand it. I was curious. I was intellectually curious to find out what was going on. And this was in the middle of the riot. And this, I went down to where the CBS was burnt out, Corey. I went down and talked to people in those houses. You know, they were, st- you know, people were just standing around talking. And, and I just, I asked a bunch of questions and I'm sure people were like, what the hell is this white guy do? You know, here's this guy, khaki pants, button down a shirt. And you know, he looks like a typical white guy from, 
freaking Montgomery County. And, you know, what's he doing? Why is he asking us all these questions? I wanted to understand. And when I was there, it really changed. The conversations I had were invaluable. I'll, I'll never forget talking to a mom. And she said, you know, you know, we're stuck. We're stuck in this generational poverty. And some of us get out. Some of us don't. Some of us have to sell drugs to get by. Some of us have been floating around. We're evicted from place to place. And it's not because we want to. It's because we just don't. We don't have those resources. We want a job. We want to be able to be successful. And that just, I mean, Corey, I got to tell you, those conversations just really enlightened me. I mean, I had a different perspective walking into there, and I had to have those conversations to, to, to want to learn more, to want to learn how, how, what we can do to fix it. And the solution's not always so easy. But dismissing places like Sandtown, dismissing places like West Baltimore City, uh, is just, you know, a crime-ridden ghetto. That's not fair. We got to do something. I mean, this is that's our generation that we're we have to fix it and we have to start with the community. And that's what you did. I mean, you got involved and with with civic activism. And that's that's why I'm, uh, you know, as someone who does this show, if we can just reach one person, if we can do one thing and have a conversation to inspire somebody to stand up for their community and start getting involved and and in every community, it's different. But. I mean, have you noticed it? Have you been able to inspire other um, young men to to take part in their community and to get involved? You, you know what, Ron? So one of the things that I think about is some of it's almost self-inflicted. Uh, so we do we do have very much very great challenges within the city of Baltimore. We have uh, certain parts of the city that are just very tough. If I have to break it down in Councilmatic, it's the 7th, the 9th, the 12th, and the 13th district. And they're plaguing other parts of the city. They're sitting in parts of the city that may be well-to-do. Um, the challenge is, is that the split in Baltimore City probably was like a 65-35. And now it's almost like an 80-20. And once you get to an 80-20 where 80% of the resources are going to places that are well-off versus 20% that aren't going, that are going to the places with the challenges, you can't breathe at that point, and that's how we get into a 2015. But the reality is, is that that's why I say it's self-inflicted. Um, some of it is just because some of the people that we have in those elected offices in those tougher districts. I represent the 45th legislative district, so the only uh, place that beats us out is the 40th district, which has, which is the heart of West Baltimore, and I represent the heart of East Baltimore. Here's some of the challenges that we have in front of us, uh, Ron. We're we're doing 23 new schools within the city of Baltimore. We're knocking them down. We're building. Uh, all new. In the 41st district, it's only five legislative districts in the city of Baltimore. In the 41st yeah. district, you're getting seven brand new schools. In the 40th mm-hmm. district, you're getting six brand new schools. In the 46th district, you're getting five brand new schools. In the 43rd, you're getting four. The challenge is, is in my district, we're only getting two. So when you two. start talking about that type of disparity in reference to resources, this is a billion-dollar project, a billion dollars, $35, $40 million in schools, I'm under the impression that you help the neighborhoods that need it the most instead of helping the neighborhoods that already have it. You help them catch up. But that isn't what happens. So then so 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 let's just take the twenty first century schools and those two schools. Let's go over to the maintenance funding. When I got an office run, one of the things that I took a look at was the CIP, the capital improvement dollars that go for the the maintenance of our school buildings. Sure. The challenge that we have in my district is from 2010 to 2015, we've either been last or second to last in reference to appropriations for CIP funding in my legislative district. And I said, so 21st century maintenance school funding, we're basically setting up a formula for what we see with abandoned houses. The abandoned houses aren't on the outskirts of Baltimore City. They're right there in the heart of East Baltimore and the heart of West Baltimore. Of course. I will say some of this is criminal. Because we know that this is going on, but nobody's saying anything about it. We're shifting the resources that could be in the 45th Legislative District or was supposed to be in the 45th Legislative District, and we're putting them in other parts of the city. And that's only because our legislator isn't paying attention. So, it, it, like I said, self-inflicted, all we have to do is just pay attention and ask the question, how, what was the metrics that you used to choose the schools in reference to how they were being uh, appropriated for? One of the things that we did was we, we asked them those questions, and when we looked at the metrics that they used, Ryan, Hazelwood and Gardenville within our district should have still fell within the first 23, but it didn't. And the reality was that we were in the fourth quarter when we were asking about this in 2015, but this was, this has been planned out 
for at least a decade before it was actually appropriated, and it's nothing you can do when you're in the fourth quarter. And the same thing with the CIP funding. People have to ask the tough questions and just challenge people to be better partners, that being the school system. And I think that that disparity, once you shrink that disparity just by paying attention, I think that we can all do better. So let's, and that takes me into the next portion is that in 2014, you were you were elected, and it really just seems like you were you were elected because you worked harder than everybody else, um, and you really just you, you went out and knocked doors, you talked to people, and then you and I want to talk about some of the legislation that you have champion, championed and taken the lead on, but where we are today is that you're running against a longtime incumbent. Um, a guy by the name of um, Nathaniel McFadden, and he's been in office for quite some time, and I think that's I think that's being generous. He's 71. He's held elected office for 35 years, and he's a former teacher, former principal in Baltimore in Baltimore schools. He was elected to the city council in 1982, and then the state senate in 1984, and he's called the dean of, well yeah he's the dean of the city's senate delegation and he's on that very powerful budget and taxation committee and i think he's even serving as the president pro tem and he of course presides over the senate when senate president thomas v mike miller is absent and so Corey, you're taking on him and uh what's when you decided to jump into that race and to, to say listen i'm going to I'm going to run for state senate against a guy who's been there for for a long time, longer than I've been alive, and you know, basically when you were born. What did what was the reaction from people? Did they think you were crazy, or did they say, "All right, man, go get him"? You know what? So I think that uh, one of the things is, is that we have a very very good legislative record. When we went in there in 2014, one of the first bills that we worked on was voting rights. Um, working on restoring voting rights to 40,000 Maryland taxpayers. The bill uh, passed by a very, very small margin. It was vetoed by the governor, and we were able uh, to successfully override the veto. Um, I think that that in itself was probably one of the biggest things I'll do in my lifetime. Why was that important to my district? When we looked around our district, uh, Ryan, we, let's take 21210, which is like the new, north part of Baltimore City. You know how many people they had currently on parole or probation in that zip code? 5,000. Ten. So they had ten people on parole or probation, but let's take a zip code that I represent. 21213 had 937 people currently on parole or probation. One of the things that I would say to my uh, colleagues was, with that disparity in number, 10 versus 937, you wonder why I got three liquor stores on Milton and Biddle. You wonder why yeah. the resources aren't pumped in uh, to the neighborhood versus another neighborhood. You wonder why the schools look like it do. You wonder why the abandoned houses uh, are, are in so much. We have so many within the neighborhood is because elected officials say they pay attention to everybody, but that's not true. They pay attention to people that vote. They pay attention to the neighborhoods that vote, and resources come to those places that do vote. One of the other things that I would say to my colleagues was uh, in reference to the uh, they pay taxes. So if they buy a bag of chips, they pay a sales tax. If they purchase a home, they pay in property taxes. If they purchase uh, or, or work, they pay in income taxes. How do you not have somebody paying taxes have the ability and right to vote? Then let's take the, the election cycle that I was in, uh, elected in. I always also talk about the close margin in which people are elected in. So if you take Denny Tavares' race, Councilwoman Tavares, up in Prince George's County, she was yeah. elected by less than 10 votes this side of her uh, election. Um, if you take my friend, Delegate Pat Young, over in West Baltimore County, less than 55 votes decided of his election. You take my friend, Deb Ray, over in Southern Maryland, uh, less than 76 votes decided of her election. So with those close margins, how are we leaving 40,000 people out of the equation is one of the questions that we continuously ask. The second thing that we always focused on uh, was the apprenticeship opportunities. So we passed several bills to increase apprenticeship opportunities, but the one that I'm most proud of, we called it the Power Apprenticeship Act, providing our workers uh, education and readiness. Any project that's funded by the state of Maryland a million dollars or more, they have to use registered apprentices. Why is this important? In my, uh, in my city, a lot of times we just want a job. 
So I didn't know about apprenticeship or programs until my mom said something, until I got introduced to the IBEW. One of the things is, is when you go through a registered apprenticeship program, it's governed by the Department of Labor License and Regulation for the state of Maryland. So you have to matriculate to the first year, to the second year, second year, to the third year, third year, to the fourth year, and so on and so on. But if you just got a job, you might not be getting a schooling. You might not be getting the benefits that come along with it, but we should not allow these types of things on state-funded projects, wherever any any amount of dollars is going to a state uh, project. But we actually set a threshold of a million dollars or more. So when we're talking about hospitals, we're talking about colleges, universities, any project that we think do social good within our neighborhoods, they now have to use registered apprentices, which is just huge in itself. The third I, thing, I mean, that's – yeah, go ahead. Yep, the third thing just was uh, residency requirements. Pre-1995, we had residency requirements. This is huge for Baltimore City in itself. As we talk about our police officers, as we talk about our firefighters, the people that pick up our trash, pre-Kurt Smoke, we had residency requirements. They got rid of it for the whole state of Maryland, where it benefited places like Garrett County in western Maryland, places like the Shore used it, those small little jurisdictions that said, hey, if our police take a car home, we want to keep them within 30 miles of our uh, jurisdiction because they're basically on call. They got rid of that. And the reality is is that a lot of our police force don't even live in Baltimore City at this point. What did we do? We dropped it one level down. We basically said that um, if you are at will in a supervisory capacity, your local jurisdiction has the ability to, uh, to um, grant authority to have residency requirements. Why is that important? Because in a place like Baltimore City with a population uh, at 600,000, and we live next door to, let's say, Baltimore County, which has 1.2 million, our workforce is twice the workforce because we live in a city um, versus a county. Then, 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 so it, it, it benefits us because first we know that the people that live in the neighborhoods they tend to take care of it a little bit more. Very, very important piece. And then I talked about the uh, school construction. Ryan, one of the things that we did was House Bill 76. House Bill 76 basically says that our school system now has to score each one of our school buildings and make sure that we know what condition the roof is, make sure that we know what condition the heating and the air conditioning is, the windows, doors, et cetera, and et cetera, and make that information accessible to the public. So they have to post that information to the public. Because when we were going through the 21st century, when we were going through the maintenance for the CIP, you know who knows that information? The school system and the elected officials. Sure. We're not going to get anywhere if we have bad elected officials in that position, and the school system sure ain't going to tell on themselves so how about letting the parents know, the teachers know, the students know, so that we can all hold them accountable and make good decisions going forward? So, so in saying that, legislatively, in the last three and a half years, we have hit the ground running and we have kicked the door down. Um, but, but why is that important? And you asked the question, um, why would you take on a five-term sitting incumbent that's been sitting in elected office longer than I've been born, longer than you've been born? Because yeah. the reality is, is that. We're watching millions of dollars float out of my district. So when you don't pay attention and we only get two schools, that's $35, $40 million uh, uh, each public school that they're building. But we're also setting that neighborhood up 20, 30 years from now, 20, 30 years from now. We can say that we moved the neighborhoods for whatever reason, but the reason is is because they have good schools and low crime. And if we can't provide those opportunities to our young people, to our people that want to move into the neighborhood, we're setting our neighborhoods up for failure. And, and, Ron, I just say I can't in good conscience continue to watch it over what I've seen over the last three and a half years without doing something. How do you do something? I think that you asked the question, uh, you've done a lot of great things. It wasn't just me. It was a team of people. And not only was it a team of people, but I had great writers. I had good people that helped us push, people that kept our field and things of that nature. And then going into the legislature and working with an equally great team, that just wanted to do great things for the 45th Legislative District. And one of the things that we didn't stop doing, Ron, we know that this can't be done. We have to change what Baltimore City looks like elected-wise. But when we went into the, uh, the 2016 elections, we had our municipal elections. And I worked on five of those campaigns, and we were successful with four out of five campaigns. I feel extremely, extremely proud of the current Baltimore City Council. And if I left today... I think that I would definitely say that I made a difference for our city, that uh, that we did great things, and I would be okay with that. One of the issues that I'm most passionate about and have tried to use this show as a vehicle to solve is the the, the, the major issue of criminal justice reform, Corey. 
you have been a champion, a leader in the House of Delegates and in your first term. And you did something that a lot of people uh, maybe didn't have the political courage to do. Um, let's talk about the Maryland Second Chance Act. And you know, in order to change the way that government functions is bringing more opportunity to people to get people actually participating in the process of government. And that starts with our justice system. Why is it, Corey, that people who they, – if they commit a crime, then they, they're sentenced, then they, they're on – you know, they commit a felony, they get out of jail, they're ex-offenders. They, shouldn't, they have the re, shouldn't they have the right to go out and be able to choose their elected officials? Why wouldn't I mean, why wouldn't they? Wouldn't that make perfect sense? You know what? It's an arbitrary barrier that was in front of them, and I'm glad that it was uh, gotten rid of, and 2016 was the first election. But you bring up a great uh, point. And I start, first want to start by saying it's a ton of legislators that's way smarter than I am that are doing some phenomenal work, and that would be in your jurisdiction, um, a Delegate David Moon, Baltimore County, Delegate Stidnor. Prince George's delegate Eric Byrne, phenomenal work on criminal justice issues. But Kathleen Dumay, my delegate. Yep, Kat, Kathleen Dumay, your delegate. Like, let's bring up some really some examples so that people can fully understand what we're talking about. So let's say that you spent ten years of your life over the jail, and let's say that when you were over that jail, you were cutting hair, and let's say that you came home from ten years and you wanted to cut hair within the state of Maryland. Well, do you know that there were barriers in reference to occupational licenses that you can't have mm-hmm. certain things on your record? in order to be a barber. I'm glad that we have people like uh, Janelle Wilkins who actually got the law passed this year. So it went into law sometime this year, whether it was July or October. But it basically said that you can't continue to hinder people that are trying to become a barber because of an occupational license. But the the thing is, is that you have to get people in the game. The people that are directly impacted by it has to be in the game because if you didn't know it, no, you, you wouldn't understand. You're like, what do you mean you, you cut hair over there and you can't come home in the state of Maryland and be able to do this? Well, we've set these arbitrary barriers in front of people, and we have to correct them. And the only way to do that is by making sure that they're also involved in the process. And, like, I agree 100% with you. Why don't they have the right to vote, or why didn't they have the right to vote? Because they have it now. I want you to talk talk a little bit about somebody that you know, guy na- uh, somebody named Perry Hopkins. Who's Perry Hopkins? Yeah, Perry Hopkins was one of the uh, folks um, that worked very, very hard. Uh, He was with an organization called Communities United. Um, And and one of the things that I remember about Perry Hopkins, we were in Ways and Means, and he helped and and, and played a great position with House Bill 980. Let me start by saying that. So Perry Hopkins is giving testimony before the Ways and Means Committee. When he's giving testimony, Ron, you can hear a pin drop in there. And, yeah. and when when he one of the things that he said was, and I'll never forget this, he says that he's sitting on the porch. So in in Baltimore City, it's a big thing to sit in the heart of East Baltimore, heart of West Baltimore. They got these marble steps. So you're sitting outside, and he says his granddaughter walks over to him and says, like what he couldn't participate in one of the most monumental elections, uh, with which was the president electing President Obama. Uh, yeah. He's seeing everybody happy, he's seeing everybody ecstatic, and he's thinking about what would his granddaughter say, when, where were you at when President Obama was elected, and knowing that he couldn't even participate within that. And it just, you could just hear people cry, you, you know, like these are legislators, and it was like, he just, at that moment, you're like, how could you not be able to elect the first African-American president and be able to participate within that process? And it was just like an awe moment. And I think that that was one. That's one of the reasons why I think the bill passed is because you have to continue to tell those types of stories. And I like to say that it was bipartisan passed throughout the House of Delegates. It didn't get there with the Senate, but we had a Republican uh, actually know that it is people that endure these situations. Um, and and I was felt pretty good about that. Well, criminal justice reform is an issue that I'm passionate about. I mean, look, I, I've made some mistakes in my life, and I look back and. Uh, you know, we're, we're all different. I, you know, I I look back at my life and I I, I think, man, I I really wish I could do some things over again. And um, people don't always understand, and it's hard to put it out there and explain it. 
And, uh, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about my own mistakes in my life, but, and one of these days you have to, you have to square yourself with your maker and, and, or you have to look your kids in the face and say, you know what, I, this is what I did when I was growing up and I'm, I'm ashamed, but, uh, you know, here's how I've become a better person. But I always feel like, you know, some of the mistakes that I've made, people look at me and I I still feel it in my soul, Corey, like, oh, that, you know, there's that kid from Hagerstown, and he's never going to, you know, he, he, he may have went to college, he may have done this, or, you know, he's doing good things, but, yeah, they just still look at you like, man, I don't know about that guy. He's no good. I mean, do, do you ever get that sense, man? Do you ever feel that in your in your, in your your gut? Like, it's, it's You know what, Ron? I just, uh, I'm at a point in life where I know that you're given a limited amount of time. Um, I try my best to wake up every day and make a difference, but... I think that that energy does come. I think there's some people that just wake up and hate you just because you woke up. But you got to let that fuel your fire. And yeah. and you got to let that push you and help that to drive you because it's people that's dependent on you. Just the vehicle that you provide, the platform that you provide for grassroots people to be able to get yeah. that message across. It's necessary. It's needed. So so for those folks that, that may feel that way, it's a reason why you're here today. Everybody has a purpose, and I'm just glad that you're putting your passion, your purpose uh, forward so that, so that we all can be successful. So thank you. Yeah, like you, man. It just it drives me to be a better man, a better person. And you look back and you say, hey, here's some mistakes that I've had in my past. But I'll tell you what, it'll never define me. It'll never – I'll never allow it because I can't. And uh, you push back and you push back. And people might hit you with it every once in a while. And, you know, politics act, adds that extra layer. You know, you get involved and you're in the heat of a, a passionate policy debate. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Corey, somebody takes you and they sandbag you with something that you did in your past. And then it, it just it, it just drives you and it makes you say, you know what, I'm not going to let this I'm not going to let this consume me. I'm going to keep moving and I'm going to do good for other people. And that's what I and that's what I see you dedicating your life to is helping people, giving people opportunities that you may never had when you were living and growing up. And the same thing with me growing up in a middle class, lower middle class in, in Hagerstown, Maryland. And, you know, I, I'll tell you a story, quick story. Um, the other day, I, I forget where I was, um, but uh, I was I, I don't I, I don't know where I was, but. Somebody, I had my college ring. I wear my college ring, and somebody said, "Well, why do you wear that thing all the time?" Um, and I said, "Because it's a reminder of everything that my parents made possible for me." Um, and it was, you know, it, going to college for me brought me more opportunities than I can ever imagine. And um, it's just all of this matters. And so, um, when you're in the fight, you know, you're you're up against a fight and you have to take it and you're taking it directly to the people. And I read the comment that was made by Senator McFadden, the Baltimore son. And he said, if by some chance this young man wins, he'll be in the back row. Um, what do you, how, how do you respond to that? You know what? We're in a house of delegates and we're in the back row, but we were able to do phenomenal things, great things and, and monumental things. Um, so I think that no matter what we'll be successful, uh, at it, it takes making the relationships, making the relationships with the folks in Montgomery County, Anne Arundel County, Howard County, and so on and so on, and building those relationships so that we could each uh, understand uh, each other's uh, jurisdictions, and that's that's how you be successful. It's the person uh, that puts forth everything and work very hard to build those relationships to make sure that you're successful, make sure that you're bringing it home for your district. So uh, the comments, I kind of just keep working harder. All I do do is fill my fire. Um, to say the least, but I rather, uh, you know, it's not where you sit. I always say it's where you stand and where you stand on those issues, um, where you stand for the people in your district. And I think that we've always stood and will always stand um, in the right place uh, for the people in the 45th legislative district and for the state of Maryland. Is there anybody else running in the Senate race other than you and um, Senator McFadden? Uh, currently, I'm, we're the only two that I know of, so both of us have filed. Okay, um, so you're elected, and you know you have you you start your tenure in the Senate. And look, this is the year, 2018. I think is the year where all of it is made possible. I think anything could happen next year, given our national politics, the current trends, and how things are going. Um, I really think that 
This is it's the year of the outsider. So um, what do you want to accomplish in the Senate, Corey? You know, I want to continue to make sure that uh, we can decrease poverty, uh, making sure that we provide uh, job opportunities for our young people across the state of Maryland, making sure that we provide um, and build on to the middle class, uh, making sure that we just uh, strengthen our neighborhoods and making sure that the resources are coming to our neighborhoods and making sure that they're coming without the large disparities that are currently coming. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, you're going to continue the work that you're doing in the House of Delegates, yep. and then you're going to take it right into the Senate, and the Senate – it's a different place. Uh, the, the House of Delegates, and following the House of Delegates for some time, uh, you can stand up and really go to town and be passionate about some of the issues. The Senate, how would you describe that atmosphere? What's the difference there? You know what? It's a body of 47 versus a body of 141. Um, I think that you have more power to leverage in the Senate. Um, I think that it's a, a, a very smaller body, and I think that you can get a lot done as the uh, Maryland State Senator. Yeah, and so you're talking to people out in your community. You're t- going door to door. You're you're holding events. What are you hearing? What are people most concerned about for the 2018 election? You know, I think that crime is the biggest thing in Baltimore City right now. I think that uh, besides crime, you talk about youth opportunities. They're talking about just the basic uh, functions of government being able to work for them. Uh, is a lot. Whether the light pole or the light goes out, whether it gets turned back on, making sure that the street cleaning actually happens, make sure that the trash get picked up, but make sure that if you have a yard next to you, make sure that the city or whoever cuts it um, is supposed to cut it. So addressing those basic issues, those basic quality of life issues within a neighborhood, and we, we've heard it for the last three years, like people enjoy us. We did a poll um, back in the first week of June just to test and see whether it was even there, and the poll said that we were in about 53 percent um, versus the incumbent 35 and everybody else uh, undecided. So we polled very strong, and when and it was a, a very reputable uh, polling firm, Selinda Lake uh, firm, huh? Lake Research did the poll for us, and it basically said like these numbers are phenomenal um, for a person that's been in there three and a half years. But I think that we've continuously gave put our heart and soul into the community and just worked, just worked in a phenomenal team. Uh, with us, we've got a Tamika, we've had a Travis, we've just got s- several people um, that have just made sure that they gave up everything and just make sure that we represent people. Uh, uh, and that's, y- that's part about it. So the concern is always in s- some people who go out and take the step to run against the incumbent, as, especially as a, as a, as the state delegate. Um, you know, where's Mike Miller going to come down on this? Has he has he issued a position of who with for whom he's going to back i mean i know that mcfadden's been in there for a long time or do you think this is the time where um the senate president might come back and say hey Corey, i'm gonna i'm gonna support you you, you know what? I'm not sure. I always take my message straight to the streets. As an organizer with the IBW and as a person that's always been on the ground, um, I always try to get a pulse of what the community is. So sure. the the position of Mike Miller, I care about Miss Rose or Miss Miller or Miss Daisy, Miss Locust. Those are the folks that you know are the measurables for me. What what was the temperature there? And they're the ones that dictate whether I run or not. They're the ones that dictate uh, how far we go. And that's what I've always done is just try my best to make sure that our message reached directly to the people um, in the 45th Legislative District. And I think that they're hungry for new leadership. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so people want to be involved in your campaign. And I've heard all over the state um, – Keep an eye on Corey McRae. Keep an eye on Corey McRae. That's that is a common theme. I keep hearing it all over the place. So, um, where can people check you out at? You know what? Elect Corey McRae is our website. ElectCoreyMcRae.com on Facebook. We're Elect Corey McRae on Twitter. We're Elect Corey McRae on Instagram. We're Corey McRae. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's very very like I've been overwhelmed in reference to the grassroots support, the low-dollar donations that's come from across the state uh, uh, has, has been phenomenal. We've had a couple hundred uh, volunteers uh, come out. We've announced on September 16th, and it's just been very, very overwhelming. We post 
uh, people from our district uh, holding signs. We do videos, and I just it's overwhelming the amount of support um, that we we've had. But we'd love to have even more volunteers. We've got about seven months in front of us to continue campaigning. We're out there every day, out there every weekend, making sure that we knock doors and get our message directly to the people. So please uh, reach out to elect Corey McRae, and if they if 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 it's a person that's not on the technology part of it, and you want to dial by a cell phone, my cell phone number is four four three. Five two zero two six one one. That's four four three five two zero two six one one. And please look us up. Uh, we would welcome the help. Yeah, you're a brave man for giving yourself phone now. Uh, <laughs> no, I hear you. I mean, it's it's. I uh, yeah, no, I appreciate that. So um, yeah, let's. I, I'd love to come out and 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 hang out with you for a couple of days on the campaign trail and knock some doors with you and to. Uh, I'm telling you, man, I, I love the grassroots. I, I, I've been out there championing candidates for a long time. And, you know, being on this side of politics and covering the race, and um, it's it's a lot of fun, but I miss it. I miss I want to get back out in action and, and uh, you know, put my put my, my sneakers on and, and start hitting some doors. So um, I'd love to come out and help you at any time, Corey. Seriously, I mean that. Um, yep, you know, we want to take you up on it. Yeah, I mean, you made a friend for life, and uh, – It'd be great. I, and plus, I think the Senate needs some more people in their 30s, really. I think they really need to, to, to lower the median age a little bit. Um, but it's it's changing. It's changing, though. Um, yep. You know, I'll tell you what. I hope you get a chance to work with my senator, um, Brian Feldman. He's a good friend of mine. Yep. And yep. We uh, worked on uh, at least one bill together. Brian Feldman is a very, very – Senator Feldman is a very good guy. Yeah. Uh, very yeah. hard worker. So just ending up um, to to bring this interview to a conclusion, I really appreciate your time coming out on a Sunday night and having this discussion. Um, you know what what's driving you, man? What's the uh, what's the the burn deep down? Why why you want to do all of this? You know what, my community needs it. Uh, I think that um, I believe so much in Baltimore City. I believe in what we can do, our potential, and I know that we can do it. And we just have to make sure that we have good, uh, effective, efficient. Um, accessible leaders uh, putting forward. I think that we did a phenomenal job in reference to the city council with uh, Councilman Burnett, Councilwoman Sneed, uh-huh. uh, Councilman Bullock, Dorsey, uh, Cohen. It's so many of them. Um, but I think that we also need that shift uh, within the Maryland State Senate, and I think that it's going to happen in 2018. Well, it's certainly going to be an interesting election. You have the governor's race that is dominating Maryland politics, and of course the the General Assembly. This is the last session. Uh, you know, this last session before the election, and so um, I always like the year of the election. Uh, I'm, have you been to Talls yet, Corey? I've, the, I've been to Talls a couple times. Uh, I didn't make <laughs> it out this year because we were campaigning, but I have yeah. been to Talls. They always have it like the hottest day of the year. Um, so we didn't go this past year, but uh, last year it was in the middle of the Republican National Convention. Um, but you go down and you eat crabs and, you know, Bruce Berriano has a big tent, uh, that I'm never invited into, but maybe one of these days. Uh, so, all right, man, well, listen, um, I really appreciate you coming on. I think you're a stand up guy and, uh, you're welcome here anytime you have a platform on a minor detail. And I'm sure we're going to have many more of these conversations as the election draws closer. So I want you to keep us in the loop. Um, and I'm going to, keep talking about this race as much as possible it's an important one so um with that i hope you have a great week Corey, and uh, i appreciate your time ron thanks for everything you do and thank you for the opportunity you bet anytime thanks Corey. all right so we're going to wrap up that was delegate Corey mcrae he's running in senate district 45 and uh keep your eye on delegate mcrae he's a good guy as you can hear he has a lot of passion he is driving this conversation about education, especially in his district, and he talked about some some of those educational disparities. That's a big topic in Maryland, and we have to fund our public schools. We have to fund our public schools. And so check him out. He's got a great narrative. Google him and learn more about him and go to his website, electcoreymcrae.com. I think I have that right. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up, and next week we'll be back, and I think Well, I have a guest in mind that all of you will really like. So we're just 
finishing up the strings there and tying up the loose ends. But next Sunday, I'm going to have an excellent guest on the show. So stay tuned. You can find us on the web at a minor detail.com. And you can find us on a minor detail radio at blogtalkradio.com slash a minor detail. My name is Ryan Miner. Tomorrow is Monday. And I want to shout out to all of our veterans. This week is, vet- this week is Veterans Day. Uh, we're celebrating well, this upcoming week. And my grandfather was a veteran. Um, my other grandfather was a veteran. And so to all of the men and women who served our country honorably in uniform, we thank you for your service. We wouldn't be a nation without you protecting and defending what we hold dear, our American values, and defending our Constitution. So thank you to all of our veterans out there. And with that, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.